Kelly, welcome back from Florida. Thank you. How'd it go? It was a fun event. Uh, King of the Court is the real deal. It's electric, um, playing against some of the top teams in the world. It was fun, snuck in the seven, so stoked about that. More importantly, you made it back in time for the Ben and Her podcast. Wouldn't have missed it. Thank you. <laughs> Today we have Santa Barbara native, owner of the Academy PT, Dr. Lisa Reed. Welcome to the Ben and Her podcast. Thank you, thank you guys so much for having me. Yeah, <laughs> <Thank you. laughs> yeah. Pew, pew, pew. We gotta add that in there. Absolutely. Yeah, I got you. <laughs> So excited you're on the podcast. I appreciate you guys asking me. You guys have had a lot of pretty awesome people, so I'm honored to be thought of to join. So thank you so oh, much. Of course. <laughs> I mean, you're so accomplished, you know, like, I mean, I'm a fellow Trojan, and I didn't know you got your doctorate of physical therapy from USC. I did. That's yeah, so awesome. Yeah, no, I did. Um, so I learned something new about you there. But um, I guess kind of, you know, we can get right into the business that, that you started, because I feel like that's really important, and it's you know, fairly new for you. Sure. Um, so kind of, I guess, explain what the Academy of Physical Therapy is. So yeah, I started the Academy of Physical Therapy in 2019. Um, to be honest, my goal was never to be a business owner. I didn't actually know first thing about running a business other than working in industries and waiting tables and bartending since I was in high school. Um, but I ended up in a situation where I had some issues with myself. I had a tumor in my arm. And I wasn't sure the logistics of how that arm would function, if I get to keep it, what it would look like. Um, and I was working in a standard outpatient practice at the time, and it just wasn't, didn't look like I was going to be able to, I wasn't sure what that road was going to look like. So I needed some time to kind of figure out if I could work and if I could, what that looked like. Um, and I also wanted the freedom to be able to spend more time with my patients and to do more of what I think my skill set shows. And in the standard insurance system, most times you see a PT every 20 to 30 minutes and the exercise prescription portion is oftentimes cut short or done with an aid just for logistics and time. And in order to maximize what I wanted to do, I needed some more time to be able to do that. So that's why I started what I do. That's great. And then you also train people in person, but then you have a new online feature too. Tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, so most of what I do is in person. Um, all my sessions are one hour with just me. And I do injury prevention, I also do wellness, and I do strength and conditioning. So that's kind of my logo. It says RPP. It's supposed to be uh, recovery, prevention, and performance. So my goal is to kind of bridge those gaps between those things. Um, and in COVID, actually, I had a lot of people reach out to me about programs, and I couldn't see them in person. So I started like sending little videos and trying to write workouts so that they could do that. And over the course of the last year, I've filmed, uh, I think I have almost 200 different exercises that I've broke into programs um, for both wellness and strength and conditioning. What kind of goals do you have? I mean, obviously starting your business, that was, um, I'm sure it was kind of a scary feature, not knowing what, you know, what it entails, but kind of what goals do you have for the future of your business? It's a good question. Um, for right now, I'm trying to just kind of be in what I have. I also have my hand in a couple other things. I still work as an independent contractor out at Meyer Institute of Sport in El Segundo. And I do independent contract work with USA Volleyball. And to be honest, I think in order to excel in our field, you need to surround yourself with people that you can learn from and that can make you better. And um, especially where I am at Meyer Institute of Sport, John and Lisa Meyer were professors of mine in grad school at SC. And John is the PT for the LA Clippers and the Canes. And 
that facility in and of itself is amazing and everybody in there is elite at what they do and so I really value the fact that I'm still there two days a week and I I want to be there two days a week because it makes me better on my own so um, for right now I think launching my online thing was big and there's only one of me and I have my hand in a lot of different things so I'm trying to just kind of be <laughs> instead of what's next <laughs> what has um, your experience been like working with Meyer like can you kind of talk about your I guess journey with that and how it's been helpful to your business right now? Um, yeah, no, that's a great question. So John and Lisa were professors of mine when I was in grad school and they have always been super approachable. They've always been not just as clinicians, but I think I really value the way that they treat people and the way that they elevate people around them. So when I actually first thought about doing my business, I had reached out to Lisa and just wanted like some opinions about whether or not like do you think this is a dumb idea or do you think this is something I could maybe do? And she met me for coffee and was the first person that made me feel like, oh, like this isn't dumb, like you can do this. Um, and I originally came on with them just part-time as one of the other therapists was on maternity leave and um, they continued to grow and create this like awesome place that they have a need for more people. So then even when she came back, there was still a need for me and I've stayed on her since. Uh, sounds like a fun environment and like what a great opportunity to learn with some of the best of the best in that field and I guess what's kind of been your philosophy if you've developed one now that you've worked with like some pretty high-end um, I guess businesses what's your philosophy as a physical therapist I think I mean that's a big question <laughs> I think twofold one one of the biggest things I've learned from being a therapist is you can't just treat the injury you have to treat the person and I think that environment is a cool example of that. Um, and then even just on my own, I think understanding that person's history and their context and why they're coming to you with what they're coming to you with is really important because I'm a big believer in like, you can't fully understand what someone else has been through because you haven't walked in their shoes. And so um, two people can have the exact same injury, but their journey can be completely different. And being there continues to give me a way just even when I don't talk to anybody I just watch what people are doing I kind of absorb how people interact and how they communicate and I think communication in our field is is undervalued um, in that you can honestly be half as technically sound but if you know how to talk to that person they're gonna get better as opposed to like trying to force your ideas on them and treat them like a science experiment so trust is would you say trust is kind of like a core value that you have on I guess something that you build your philosophy around sort of yeah no, I honestly like there I think that's the most important thing to build with your client if they don't trust you then nothing else you do is gonna matter um, people are gonna tell you things we spend more time arguably with patients than the majority of the healthcare system um, especially when you have that hour and people are gonna tell you things that you aren't prepared for on the regular basis um, and I think being able, they have to be able to trust that they can tell you those things and that those things stay with just you and you don't share them with, you know, anybody else. And especially in this community, I treat a lot of volleyball athletes in our community and I make sure that every one of them knows that like what you tell me, I'm the only person that's going to hear what you tell me, especially in a community that likes to talk about a lot of things, you know, like if they don't believe that in me, then nothing else that I do for them is going to help them. I treat my, my my PT as a therapist sometimes. I do share a lot with her because I 
I was spending like a lot of time with her three times a week. That's a lot of time for our sessions. So I can imagine you do hear a lot of stuff. Because I mean, I personally share a lot of information about myself and everything that's going on. So I respect that. I completely understand that part. I think there's, there is two, that's probably one of the most challenging things for me as a therapist though too, is like there is a line where I am not a psychologist, yeah. right? And part of treating the whole person is what I do, but there is a line where it tips that scale where you're like, I need to refer out. Yeah. Um, and even just balancing your own energy, that's something that I continue to have to work on mm -hmm. because you just physically can't absorb everything that's dumped on you every day, yeah. you know, and you want to do your best for that person. but. If like you have to be your best for eight, nine, ten in the insurance system, like fifteen, twenty people a day, like that's a lot. Yeah. So that's a lot taking in. Yeah. That's why I live alone now, to be honest with you. But I mean that philosophy I think it's super powerful. And I think um, from what I know of like athletes that work with you, they speak extremely highly of you. So um, I think you're you know, living through your philosophy, and I think people see that. So thank you. Great. I yeah. appreciate that a lot. You're always a light and joy when you ride your bike <laughs> around the strand every morning. I see you. I'm like, yeah, girl. Yeah. So you definitely are. You know, you exude that um, that lightness, that trust, mm -hmm. and um, it's exciting to see where your business has gone. When treating patients, and obviously you treat you treat um, very. I mean, you treat a lot of different kinds of patients from different sports mm -hmm. and professionals. And um, has there ever been a time where you've been pressured by coaches and by team staff to say, hey, we need them out there, we need them playing, we had to intervene? It's a good question. Um, without, like, overstepping bounds, there are certain I can't talk in the individual cases, yeah, you know? for sure. Um, but yeah, no, every sport has its challenges and every sport has its environment. And I think that's one of the biggest things working in pro sport, especially at some of the um, at Meyer and some of the other things I have in my own business, is you have to learn to navigate the system that that athlete is in. Mm -hmm. um, and I think there's a plus and a minus to every situation that you are. You know, I know in our community, beach volleyball gets a lot of push about how we have no resources and we, this is hard about this, that, and the other thing. And I think that is very true from a certain standpoint, but then those athletes also have a level of autonomy that the other pros and the other fouls do not have. Mm -hmm. You know, like at the end of the day, like you get to choose who your partner is, you choose your coach, you choose when you play, you choose if you play, if you're hurt, you choose where you live. Some of these other athletes, like, if they don't play, they're at risk of getting traded or getting cut or their career's just over. Or they have to move their family in a day to a new, you know, a new city. Um, and so I think that it's always kind of important to take a step back and kind of see things from a different perspective, I think. Yeah. How has your experiences treating different athletes in different sports, um, you know, across a variety of pro sports, I mean, you've worked with... Um, so many like MLB, NHL, um, uh, UFC, ADP, just name a few. Yeah. Like, so how, um, how have your experiences treating athletes in other sports um, given your perspective on like, the way you treat? Yeah, that's a great question. Honestly, um, I like the variety of my practice. I don't, I think it makes you sharper and better at what you do. There's a lot of overlap, and then there's also you know, like people always ask me, like, what body part do you like to treat? And it's like, you can't treat one body part. Like, the whole body works together. You know, and it's the same with sport and athlete. There's a certain level of sport specificity that needs to be addressed in order to elevate that level, especially at a professional level where, like, it's not just a recreational athlete. They are at the top of the top. But 
um, if you don't treat that whole person as a holistic athlete and not just a volleyball player or a basketball player, you're going to miss stuff. And I think even just treating, like treating a hockey player who has a hip injury, then I find things where I'm like, oh yeah, like I'm going to use that for the hip and the trunk with my volleyball player who's a shoulder injury. Because so many of the root causes are, they're all in movement. You know, they're never isolated and oftentimes a distal problem is the result of a proximal one. And so in that way, there's a lot of overlap between sports, between athletes, between injuries. Yeah, that's true. The body's connected. It's like I rolled my ankle one time and then all of a sudden my, my right ankle and then my left hip are strained. I was like, what? But it's all connected. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. What's your opinion on younger athletes training too much, like being overworked? It's a great question. Um, honestly, I think it's a very real problem, especially in the developing, like this area in particular, with the amount of resources that people have. Um, they do have the ability to have a private coach and they have ability to have a strength and conditioning coach and they go to five practices and the body responds to the stresses that are put on it. And if you are stressing those tissues to a point, like the tissues just, they can't get a hold. And that through your lifespan, those tissues change. Like young athletes, we see a lot of growth plate and we see a lot of bone. As you get older, it becomes more muscle and tendon because the structures change as you develop. So what do you recommend for younger athletes? Like what should they focus on if they're lifting? Sure, yeah, they yeah. Focusing more on like mobility? I think that's a great question. I think first and foremost, I think athletes that play multiple sports, like I mean, there's studies to show it and we see it clinically, like they're better overall athletes. You develop your nervous system, you give your bones and your muscles different stresses so that they adapt to those stresses. Um, there's overwhelming like data now showing like, for example, hips. A lot of boys that play like contact high um, impact sports, they have more hip impingement issues and their bony structure actually changes because they're doing that from a really, really young age. So I think that the volume and the diversity would, I would say first and foremost, because it's hard to get a kid to want to lift or to want to stretch or, you know, like um, other than that, yeah, I mean, you can load kids. You just have to make sure that first and foremost, their form is there and that that I think is what's hard in some of the group environments is even if you have a really qualified person teaching it, they can't supervise 30 kids with one of them. And you do more one-on-one -on -one stuff, correct? I do. We do have a, um, a youth volleyball um, avenue out at Meyer Institute of Sport where they get some volleyball training with one of the coaches that works through there and then we do injury prevention, strength and conditioning training with them on top of that. And that is a group environment. We try and break it up so that the groups are small enough that we have that supervision and we try to give diversity in the exercises that we do so that they're not just doing the same thing every time. Um, but me personally, I do more of that one-on-one -on -one, um, care outside of that. It just, it works for me. And I think I can get through better to those people in that setting. Are you accepting any? <laughs> Any patients? I'm always accepting patients. Um, I'm not going to lie, my schedule's pretty full and pretty busy, and so um, I don't always have all the availability that people need, but I'm doing my best to you know, accommodate who I can. And the online is, is it a substitute for in-person? Absolutely no. not. You know, um, I don't think it's the same quality and the same tier, but in this day and age, people just want resources at their fingertips, and there's so many out there already. My classmates, they started, it's called Prehab Guys, and I honestly think they do a really good job of that. Um, but my goal was to just kind of 
put my name and my brand on things that I believe in in a context that's more accessible. I'm sure that your background uh, in sport as a kid growing up too shapes your career. So I kind of wanted to get into that a little bit as, I mean, you're very, like you grew up doing a lot of different sports, yeah, right? Like you surfed, you said you camped, backpacking, you enjoy too, gymnastics, track, basketball. Um, so I guess kind of um, how has sport growing up as a kid shaped um, your career, your choice to get into this? Sure, no, I mean, honestly, that's a, everybody asks that question. <laughs> it's a good question that usually has like more than one answer to it. But um, yeah, I mean, I grew up as a very active kid. I played a lot of different sports in different contexts, but basketball was always my like my main sport and my main focus, which is funny because even in our community, a lot of people don't even know I played basketball. <laughs> Point guard? Was, of course. You know, okay. like when you're yeah, my like, size, you have one choice. Yeah. <laughs> like, um, but yeah, no, I mean, I played, I had my very first club coach. He was kind of someone that I think has been a mentor for me for the rest of my life because he, he didn't try and go around the fact that I was small and that I didn't have, I was good, but I wasn't elite compared to some of the other kids. And he told me one day, he's like, meet me at the gym at 6 a.m. And my dad dropped it on me and I went and then for every day from seventh grade through almost the end of high school, I went to the gym at 6 a.m. before school. Um, and he just told me one day that like, you know, if you want to give yourself opportunities, like you're going to have to work harder than everybody else because they're not going to come your way. People aren't going to give them to you. Um, and he told me to kind of find a strength in that where he also had an interesting route himself, but he, uh, he told me that the person he sizes up in warm-ups is always the smallest person on the floor because they had to work harder than everybody else to get there and at the end of the game they're the one who wants the ball and they're the one who's going to hit the shot. So I kind of carried that with me through um, sport. Yeah, so I'd love to hear more of your story about, um, you know, like high school basketball and then um, some of the recruiting process we went through and then your college experience. Too. Sure, yeah. Um, Honestly, I always wanted to play in college. I wasn't sure at the end of the day if I was gonna be good enough to play at like the level that I wanted to play, but I was gonna try. <laughs> um, I made varsity as a freshman, but my coach also wanted to develop me. And so he told me the best way to do that was to get me minutes. So he had me practice with JV and play some events with JV. So every day I went to two practices, some tournaments, I always traveled and played with varsity. If there was a league game that like, he thought I would be better to play in JV. He'd move me and any given day, I wasn't sure where I was gonna be. Um, but he did that with the intention of like trying to make me better. Um, and I still played club while I was in high school and I started, I did reasonably well. And I was in a car accident in my junior year that kind of changed a lot of things for me. Um, I had a pretty severe brain injury that's honestly affected the way that I have kind of lived my life since. I don't talk about it a lot, but I think without addressing it, like the majority of my story wouldn't make any sense. <laughs> so I, um, I walked away from the incident, but I kind of hid my symptoms from everybody because all I wanted to do was to play basketball and I didn't really understand what was happening to me. Um, we had a road game the next day and I, I played. Um, I remember being keeled over in the locker room before, like trying to get myself together and my assistant coach walked in and I made up some line about how I was just trying to like do my pregame ritual or something but like I was dizzy I was nauseous I couldn't see I'd walk in a straight line and fall over um 
but I played. And my numbers were fine, and nobody had any idea that I was not well. I don't remember that game, to be honest. I think now I was in like a state of psychosis that I was just not present. Um, but in the fourth quarter, my coach pulled me, and we were up, and I sat on the bench, and my arms and legs went numb, my vision went black, and I fell off the bench. Um, they had taken me to the hospital. I will forever thank my teammates who went with me, and I'm sorry for putting you through that because it was terrible. Um, but I never really got treatment for that. Um, and I came back sooner than I should have. I got hit a few more times. Um, to date, I've had, counting them, 10 concussions, like major ones, since that accident. Um, and it took me until graduate school to actually get treatment for it. And it was because we were in class and um, we had to do this neuro testing and I failed everyone. And it was something on the surface, I had good grades, I was still active, I looked normal, so I didn't talk about it. Um, but I had to change the whole way I lived my life. I had a headache every day for almost 15 years. I couldn't read, I couldn't write, I like had different ways around things. Um, instead of making flashcards, I would record myself reading my notes and I would just play it back as I worked out, as I drove, because reading I just was not something I could do. Um, and so, in grad school, I had one of my professors, her name is Pam, that woman saved my life. <laughs> um, Pam treated me for a long time, and then when she had a kid in recent years after my last one, my old classmate treated me. Um, and I don't know how much about the resources you want to know, but... So for people who uh, think that they might have gotten a concussion, how can they test themselves and then what are, if they do have a concussion, what can they do immediately right after um, to help and long-term also? Sure, um, honestly, it's really hard to test yourself. There's there's better protocols now than there were when I was growing up. In terms of on-field testing, a lot of the athletic trainers are trained, or they're supposed to be trained in it, coaches and stuff as well. Um, and especially in that moment, that athlete oftentimes is unaware of what's happening to them. And so I don't think that responsibility falls necessarily on that person initially. Um, but you know yourself better than anyone else. Like if you're starting to have issues with concentration or vision or balance or nausea, or a lot of people don't understand how the brain affects like the gut, for example, you know, um, or it honestly affects everything. So if you're starting to feel in the next few days, like, ooh, I don't feel like me. Sometimes those, those uh, results are delayed. It can be a few days, it can be a few weeks. Um, I would just say like, if you start to notice like some of those factors, like go to a healthcare professional. Um, the hardest part I think is it's, it's getting a lot better, but not everyone is trained how to recognize it and how to treat it. Because you can take an MRI of the brain and the brain is gonna say that it's just fine. It's not a structural problem, it's a functional problem. Um, and if you look at, there's a new technology out there that, to be honest, was one of the biggest things that helped me. Uh, there's only know a couple places that do it. It's called Neurofield. There's one in Santa Barbara and one in LA. And they actually put electrodes on my head and they map the impulses of my brain. Um, and they could see the areas that were sped up and that were slowed down. And for example, after my most recent one that was only a couple of years ago. I had issues with sleep where I didn't sleep more than an hour for almost three months. Oh. And because of that, I had heart problems. I lost, I was 105 pounds. 
I had, like, my whole world was different. And I wasn't in a state, even though I'm, I was a health provider at that time, I couldn't even advocate for my own resources because I wasn't cognitively functional to do that. Um, but that technology was amazing, and they created these, like, electrical frequency programs that essentially, like, rewired my brain. I had to go, like, three, four times a day for several weeks, and in combination, there's um, neuro, like, in physical therapy. I'm not a neurospecialist, but there are neurospecialists who they do a lot of eye work and cognitive work and motor work, and same with chiropractic. There's another group um, that, there's one called Imaginex that I went to who they did very similar things, and I think it just, it's not one treatment, and the hardest part, I think, for especially the person experiencing it to understand is, like, how long of a road it's going to be. Um, not everybody reacts that way, but it's not a quick fix. How many concussions have you had total? The last one, they made me count them and sit down and list it, and I think documented 10. Okay. Um, How have you changed your lifestyle with those concussions? I mean, to be honest, I've had to change everything about the way I live my life. Like, everything. Like, I, uh, I had a lot of issues with my neck and my upper back because of it. Um, reading and writing was, for me, forever the biggest trigger. Like, so I, after college, I worked in, I mean, I worked in restaurants since I was 16, but I worked as a bartender because I did not have to read or write anything. I didn't even write down orders. I could take an order of up to 20 people at a table and everything was an association. I wouldn't write it down. Um, wow. Auditory was big for me. That's, like, that's impressive. Yeah, that's so impressive. Yeah, auditory was big for me. I learned a lot by listening. I don't really learn by reading um, so much or writing. Documentation in my field is big and that was one of my hardest things in graduate school is to learn how to do that effectively. Um, do you have any like daily routines that you do consistently now since yeah. those concussions? The healthier I've gotten, I can honestly say I'm better now than I have since I was 16. My last one, which I mean I can talk about a little bit later, but um, was in was my worst one. Um, but it forced me to get treatments that I never had before, and so I honestly can say I'm better now than I've been since I was 16 years old. Um, but yeah, I have routines for my next ability that I do every morning. I did a lot of like visual tracking with a little head laser. You look kind of like a funny person, but you wear the laser on your head. Um, I don't have to do that every day, but I have to do it. Um, I have a lot of eye work and stuff that I do that now I'm good enough that the stuff I do in my daily life for the most part is enough. But um, my diet, all my food sensitivities changed. Like I used to be lactose intolerant and then when I got healthy, I'm not lactose intolerant anymore. And like um, sitting and reading and driving, like have to change my posture, I have to change the way I sleep. I sleep like a dead person now on my back <laughs> because like if I sleep on my side, like my neck, I wake up and I'm like crooked. <laughs> you, guys, so, you guys know that meme? I did, I'm alive. <laughs> oh, yeah. I just thought of, yeah. But, but I, I also want to stress like I do those things in order to live the function that I want to live. Yeah. Like I don't, one of the reasons I don't really talk a lot about my story is I don't want to be defined by those traumas. I think it's really important. We all experience trauma in our life, you know, and my trauma is different than yours, is different than someone else's, and it's not any better or worse, it's just different. And I think if you don't learn to adapt and you don't learn to grow from those experiences, you get stuck. And so I'm 
honored you guys had me here, but I turned down a lot of opportunities to speak in front of people and had people want to do science experiments on me and write a book and I said no to all of it because I just don't want to be that poster child, if you were, for that. Like, I'd rather use my experiences and how they help me communicate with my patients, how they help me advocate for resources. Someone asks about my story, I will tell them, but I never open with it. I, I think that with everything you just said, your trauma and your experience, that, first of all, thank you for sharing all of that. That is incredible that you've been able to grow and adapt that way. But I think that also makes you so relatable, you know, and, and um, I think that that's how you can empathize with your patients so well. Sure, yeah. And I am um, in the spirit of like this podcast, which is about, you know, like advocating for other women. Like I thought a lot about like there is one story, I think, that I think can give a snapshot of like how functionally messed up I was, but then also like gives credit to someone who, to be honest, like I wouldn't be here without her. And she's someone in our community. Um, you played with her, Jess Gaffney. Like, she was my roommate when I went through my most recent one. And I can honestly say that, like, I would not be here if it wasn't for her. Um, with sleep being as hard as it was, there was a there was a day that a night that I left my house, and I, to be honest, I, I was in a state of psychosis. I don't remember it, but I had no shoes. I was in an oversized T-shirt, and I was gone for hours. I don't know where I went. But in the morning, I had blisters all over my feet and cuts, and my Fitbit said I went 26 miles. Um, and I don't have any memory of this experience at all. But I do remember being in the kitchen that morning, and like Jess and her boyfriend Chase, they came out and they looked at me. And I will never forget how scared they looked when they saw me. But they were the first people, other, honestly, the first people outside of my immediate family who had ever seen that, and to this day, the first people that ever, I hopefully ever will. Um, but instead of her, like, turning her back on me, like, she advocated for me when I couldn't advocate for myself. And she is someone like me where she doesn't share a lot about her, you know, like, herself, and it's not my story to tell, but she's one of the strongest people I've ever met. And um, I think that in this community, you know, like, it's, it's important to recognize those other people. And like, I was ready to quit trying. Um, and if it wasn't for her, I honestly, I would have. So. Can I give you a hug? <laughs> I'm going to give you a I'm going to give you a hug. Yeah. Yeah, that's wild. Yeah. So, that's for you, Jesse. I got the chills. <laughs> yeah, she's got me. She's, she's great. She, she would uh, text me or call me or, or when she sees me, she's like, how are you? Are you taking care of yourself? Yeah. And I think that's the big thing, too, is that we're so wrapped up in our daily routine. And it's literally the same thing. Wake up, breakfast, go for a walk, workout, volleyball, all of these things that you forget at the end of the day. You're human beings. You have, like I said, one of the earlier episodes, emotions, thoughts and feelings. And and. Um, yeah, I think it's important to to check in on your friends and your loved ones, your roommates, people, you know, you're passing by, saying hello, acknowledging that they're alive, that they're there. And um, yeah, I, I think we forget that because we're just so focused on ourselves and our success that we forget that we're living in a world of, of people that are 
also going through their their own issues not to say issues but their own their own deal, things that they're going on and you know their mind or in their family and whatever else like you think that no one else cares about you but there are people who care about you exactly and um i think just opening your eyes and seeing that and being open to it i think is important and thank you for sharing that yeah no, thank I you for know. being vulnerable yeah to no. that. yeah I was like, I want to talk about myself, but I can't no, apologize. No, <laughs> no, no. I guess well, let's do a lighter note. I guess what takeaways have you embodied to stay positive to get to where you are now? That's a good question. I think I think you have to surround yourself with people that help, you know, like embody those qualities that you value. And, um, and then embrace like the successes that you do have. You know, the fact that my body operates the way that it operates, like that's why I play volleyball. You know, like I have a very unconventional route and I'm very well aware that, you know, like as the smallest, arguably the smallest person out there that's trying to do whatever I'm trying to do, like odds are not in my favor, you know, but it's the first time in a long time that like my body allows me to do what I have always wanted to do. Um, and in a lot of ways I fell into being a PT because my own goals just kept getting, you know, like knocked down, you know, basketball I went on to earn a walk-on spot for a very brief period of time before I lost it again and it just like my story is almost the one of like I'm so close but I'm not there and uh and so I think the ability to move especially with women like the ability to use your body as an avenue of like self-expression and enjoyment I think is huge and so um that's kind of how I why that's why I run the beach that's why I play that's why I do these things because it reminds me that like I can. And there was a point where after my last one, all the doctors told me I should not play. And my therapist, who we used to be my classmate, Chelsea, appreciate you. <laughs> um, she, she was the first one who like actually asked me, you know, to weigh and balance like the positives and the negatives. And functionally I had to hit certain markers for her to be able to be like, I think this is safe or this is not. But I don't want to live my life in like a state of fear or a state of what if. And so um, I do the best I can to prepare. I mean, there's a chance I could get hit by a ball tomorrow and that would hurt me more than some because of my history. Um, but I choose to do that because of all of the value that I get from still doing it. And I still feel like there's parts of my story that I haven't, I haven't tried yet, you know, or I haven't. And it's, it's worth trying, it may never work out. I think the hardest lesson I learned from basketball was that like sometimes you can do everything in your power to beat the odds and that like you do your best and through circumstances that have nothing to do with you, like it's not enough. And you may never get those results, but if you don't enjoy the process of trying, then like you shouldn't be doing it. Yeah, I, I, I truly believe that too. And I think that, you know, aside from everything that happened to you with basketball and all that, like it led you to the sport of beach volleyball. Exactly. Which yeah. um, has been a blessing for you, you know, yeah, yeah. otherwise. So, um, you know, I guess kind of like how has your, um, how has your, you know, your trauma and your injuries shaped your career? Sure. Yeah, no, I mean, that's a good question. I am, um, in terms of volleyball, it was, I literally used to go down with my friends and like mess around, but I was terrible. Um, Miles Evans, he's in this community. He's been my friend since we were in high school. And he's the first person that honestly started to teach me how to play. And 
there was this old coach that came down and watched me once and he pulled me aside and he was like, excuse me, you are terrible, but you're really athletic. Like, I think you could be good. Thanks, Jorge. Um, and so I was honestly so lost in that, like, all I ever wanted to do was be an athlete. Like, I became a PT because I was like, logistically, I don't know if I'm actually going to be able to make money doing this. You know, there's a certain balance between optimism and realism and everyone's situation is different. But as someone who doesn't come from a ton of money or like single self-employed, if I don't work, I can't afford to live here. So um, I started working with that coach and like little by little got better. And when I applied to grad schools, admittedly, I only applied to three, all of which I picked based on proximity to the beach. <laughs> Being like bluntly honest. Um, so I went to SC, but I lived at the South Bay while I was at SC. I actually had some eligibility still, and I like talked to the coaching staff and tried to see if I could walk on. And there was a chance I got a tryout, but with my program, it was just not going to happen. So I would get up at 4.30 every day, and I would go to the beat traffic, I'd go to the gym, I'd work out, I'd go to school, and then play, you know, when I could. It was kind of, I had a foot in, but I wasn't like able to really compete. And so it wasn't until I took my first job that I was able to play in more tournaments. And now I structure my hours like I work until 8 or 9 p.m. most nights. But it gives me the morning window to train and to practice. And um, that balance is hard for me. I'm not going to lie. Like it's a hard pill to swallow to maybe realize that like what I'm elite at is allowing other people to live my dream, which is tough yeah. um, I'm not gonna lie to you but I think then the flip side to that is like you get to share what you learned in your story and allow the sport that gave you so much to like give back to it like Kelly brought up earlier earlier like you're so positive and for everything that you've been through like I admire you as a person and your attitude and the effort I mean people see it you know that you put in to everything that you do so um, I really you. commend you yeah yeah, you're a positive light, girl. Appreciate you. Need my yellow bike. Bring that out. Brighten my day. And I mean, just to have you listen to your story and be willing to share it, um, we really appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, you're you're badass. Yeah, yeah you are. Come <laughs> on. What? I'm bleeding. Um. Okay, so the last piece here is um, this. How do you take a bet on yourself or how having you how have you taken a bet on yourself? I think honestly my business is kind of probably the best example of that. Um, my arm, fun fact, I only have one artery in my arm now. My radial artery is gone. My tumor took over the majority of it. And so I um, even that process I think about a lot because I had to advocate for myself to get the surgeon that I wanted to had to sign things to get him to take it out before he wanted to just because my hand was numb and my my hand hurt and I couldn't do my job I couldn't like uh like I hate still photos of my passing platform because for a long time my hand wouldn't close so I'd have to grab my wrist and um to this day hand setting is my favorite skill because <laughs> my like my hand works again and it's the combo of basketball it's a chest pass meets a jump shot and so it is my best skill and i will hang my hat on that skill <laughs> but i think my business it was something that i knew zero things about business i did not study business in school at all um i knew like blue collar business from working in the restaurant industry and originally it was just a way to see if my hand would work and if i could do my job 
And so I limited it to like one patient a day for a while because my hand could only do so much. And it gave me, I was on disability at the time. That's how I supported myself. I was collecting disability checks while I was trying to figure out what I was going to do. And little by little, like I had more clients and I found places to run my business. And it's turned into something that I, to be honest, never ever in a million years thought that it would be. Um, and so I'm proud of what it has become. I think, yeah, down the road, I, I honestly don't really know where I wanted to go. I'm kind of happy doing what I'm doing for now, but that would be it, I think. That, yeah, I like that a lot. Kind of sounds like um, this podcast, sounds like Bustle Media, sounds like, you know, all that stuff that's hard to do, building this on your own. But I think, like I said earlier, your experiences just um, attribute to that. It just kind of pushes you forward and you've grown you know you can tell throughout the years you understand your strengths your weaknesses and you've allowed yourself to be vulnerable to the point where you could share that story with us and you have three more supporters of yours <laughs> appreciate you you know and then to all of our listeners as well you know just getting to know lisa and um, learning from this experience and um, seeking resources you know yeah. i think is important and, and i think we need to share that because you are really, really well known among the USA people and facility and stuff. And I hear so much about you. I see you riding your bike. And I was like, that one. Let's let's get Lisa on. Um, yeah, and I think that's important to share. So so thank you for sharing your story with us. Yeah, no, thank you guys for the chance. I, yeah. uh, I honestly haven't really told a lot of my story really to anybody um, for a lot of reasons. Yeah. So I think... I want it more to be like advocacy for other people than it is look at me. Yeah. I think that's one yeah. of the reasons why I didn't want to share it before in addition to my own issues like sharing publicly about stuff. So yeah. I think you guys with this podcast have done a really good job of trying to highlight not just the person but like why you brought that person on yeah. and what people can learn from that person for themselves. Yeah, I, I think that if we, I found that if we don't allow ourselves to be vulnerable and keep our guard up, there's no one there to really support you other than your inner circle. Um, and and yeah, I, I think that's important in order for us to build this community is to allow ourselves to be vulnerable and that's why Bet On Her exists. And um, yeah, we appreciate you. Thank, Thank you, you so much. Thank, Thank you guys for having me. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then the last bit here is, I'm gonna open the floor to you. If there's anything, you don't have to do this at all. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah I could cut this out, um, but if there's anything in your heart or mind that you want to talk about, whether that's uh, you know about Academy PT or about yourself or anything that we discussed, the uh, mic and the floor is yours. I mean, I would like to thank my family, to be honest. Yeah. Um, everyone's family dynamics are interesting and different, and um, I would say mine falls into that category too. But at the end of the day, like they, they've helped me in ways that like I'll never be able to thank them for. Um, and like I said about Jess, you know, like without them, I wouldn't be here. So yeah. um, I think that would be something. And, and also in, in just in this community in general, I think the nature of the sport has created an environment that is honestly, you can cut this out, but I think it's selfish, you know, compared to a lot of other pro sports that I have played or like that I've worked with yeah. and sports that I yeah. have played. Like it's, it comes from, I think, a place of scarcity and a, pay, a place of like, you know, there aren't resources and it is so cutthroat if you have to take this and then you take that. And yeah. if you don't take this opportunity, you don't get this one. But I think sometimes people lose sight of like 
Light Aid are playing. Or for me, the biggest thing I want to hang my hat on is my integrity of how I treat the people around me. Yeah. And I think that there's a way to communicate and a way to do things where you can still take those opportunities, but do it in a way that like honors yourself and honors your competitor. Yeah. You know, people ask me all the time, like, is it weird for you? Like, if you play against one of your patients and like, honestly, no, like, as a competitor, you want to play against that person at their best, you know? And, like, I don't ever want to play or win because I didn't actually win, you know? And I think sport gives you an opportunity to, if they play their best, it gives you a chance to elevate to play yours. And win or lose, like, that should be the integrity of why we play. Yeah. So, yeah. Do you guys agree? Definitely. Yeah, well said. Yeah. <laughs> Preach. I love it. Yes. Lisa Reed. <laughs> Just dropping. And me all about it. Dropping <laughs> nuggets. Uh, we appreciate you. Yeah, no, thank you, you guys. Thank you guys for having me. Yeah.